the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus sees us as his friends. Even though every single one of us, technically speaking, nailed him to that cross. The Jewish people historically participated. The Romans historically participated. But realistically, every single one of us participated. Because Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. Someone once said that there's only one man-made thing in heaven, the marks of the crucifixion that Jesus bears. Because of your sin, you are alienated from God, but Jesus took the punishment intended for you so you can spend eternity in heaven with Him. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you of Jesus' love for you in the ultimate act of love by dying on the cross. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father, not because someone overpowered him, but because he chose to surrender. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Zechariah as he continues his message, Jesus, Our Messiah King. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, listen, put it in modern context. What Jesus was asking his disciples to do was, I I want you to go to the local Cracker Barrel. And you're going to see parked in front of it a beautiful uh, Ford F-150. I want you to hotwire the thing, and I want you to drive it to me. And if anybody asks you why you're doing this, you just say, Jesus needs it. Because that's that's a similar thing of what's happening here. A donkey was a beast of burden. You would ride it. It's like hotwiring somebody's car and stealing it, but just saying, the Lord needs it, and driving off with it. And so this is what he's asking them to do. I wonder if any of the disciples are like, who's going to do this? You want to do this? I don't want to do this. But then Matthew quotes Zechariah, and he says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, and then he quotes right out of Zechariah 9.9, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. 
And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a remarkable scene. I know it's familiar to many of you, the whole Palm Sunday story. Here it is, Jesus coming into Jerusalem the week just before he's going to be crucified. And he comes fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. You see, God gives different opportunities for people to realize, oh, this is exactly the Messiah because this is an aspect of what the prophet said. Zechariah said he would come writing on a donkey. But Zechariah uses the word lowly. Matthew repeats it when he quotes Zechariah. This is Jesus coming in a lowly, humble way. This is the meek Messiah. He doesn't come in like this raging warrior. He comes in as a meek Messiah, and the people are laying down palm branches as a way of just honoring him like a Messiah king, and they're actually quoting from the book of Psalms. They're quoting messianic passages to him because they recognize that he's Messiah king, but they have no idea what Jesus has come to do for them. They think that Jesus has come to set them free from the oppression of the Roman government. Little did they know that really what Jesus came to do was to set mankind free from the oppression of sin. That by his death on a cross, he would pay the price for our sins as a substitutionary offering to satisfy and appease the wrath of God, which must be executed because of our sinful rebellion against God. But instead of God executing it upon us, he determined I will execute it upon my son because I love the world and I am going to send my son to die for the world that the punishment intended for the world would be placed on my son, Jesus. That's the truth. And that's the message of the gospel. So that by faith in Jesus, we might be forgiven. We might be made right with God. And Jesus comes as the meek Messiah, 32 AD, down the streets of Jerusalem to be crucified for our sins. He comes in meekness, not weakness. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means you consider others, you esteem others better than yourself. It means that there's no pride. He comes in humble. He comes in lowly. He doesn't come in to assert his power or his justice. Not now, not yet. But he comes in to demonstrate his love and his mercy for us by humbly dying on a cross. And Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I get an amen on that, right? That's what Christ has come to do for us. And God demonstrates his love for us. John would say in 1 John 4, 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Which leads us to the second aspect of the mission and ministry of Jesus. Zechariah also writes about how Jesus came as our suffering Savior. If you go in your Bibles there to chapter 11 of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 11, check this out. Zechariah even predicts the price that will be paid Judas for betraying Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. 520 years before Christ, Zechariah says... The betrayal price will be 30 pieces of silver. In Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. 
Now, in the margin of your Bible, you might just want to write down Matthew 27, verses 3 to 10. Right there next to Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Just in the margin, you can write down Matthew 27, 3 to 10. And here's the reason. Because Matthew tells us that this, again, is a prophecy that was fulfilled when Judas took 30 pieces of silver from the religious leaders to betray Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, it tells us the rest of the story. Judas takes the 30 pieces of silver, the exact amount Zechariah prophesied, takes it, betrays Jesus, and then remorse fills his heart. Remorse fills Judas's heart. He doesn't repent, but he's remorseful. There's a big difference. And so he takes the 30 pieces of silver, and the Bible says that he throws it back into the temple throws it back to the chief priests and the religious leaders. doesn't want it, and then he goes out and hangs himself. And it tells us that the religious leaders took the 30 pieces of silver. Now, check this out. What hypocrisy. They gave, this is blood money. They gave this money to Judas to betray Jesus. But when Judas gives it back, they're like, well, we can't touch this. It's blood money. Well, you touched it on the way out. Why can't you touch it on the way in? They say, we can't touch this, it's blood money. So the Bible says they took the 30 pieces of silver and bought a field in Jerusalem as a burial ground for strangers, and they bought the field from the potter, a fulfillment of Zechariah. 30 pieces of silver from the potter. Now, Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus is crucified, dies on a cross, buried in a tomb, For three days, after three days, rises from the dead. Then the Bible says for 40 days, he appears to people in his resurrected body. And then after that, he ascends back into heaven from the Mount of Olives, where he is presently, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. He is our suffering Savior. And Zechariah writes about how when Jesus comes again, he will still bear the marks of his suffering. He will still bear the marks of his crucifixion. Look further here in Zechariah chapter 12. Now, from chapter 12 to the end of the book, this is all in our future. Zechariah writes about future things concerning the second coming of Jesus. And here in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, speaking primarily about the Jewish people here, the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. Now pause there and notice with me, God is saying here that he's going to open the eyes of the Jewish people, that Christ is going to return. And when Jesus returns, one of the things that is going to happen is God is going to pour out a spirit of grace and supplication among the Jewish people, that they will become broken in heart and they will become contrite and they will see Jesus in his resurrected body as he appears when he comes back to earth and they will see the marks of his crucifixion and they will weep and they will grieve because they will realize All this that was said of you was true. And there will be a great awakening among the Jewish people in the latter days concerning seeing him as Mashiach, as Messiah. And they will weep, it says, as one weeps bitterly over a firstborn. And it talks there about 
Himon uh, Radad, and uh, uh, rather Hadad Ramon. What is, the, what is the significance of Hadad Ramon? Hadad Ramon was a staging area. It was a city. When the Assyrians came before the Babylonians, 723 BC, the Assyrians came, besieged the northern part of Israel, took captive Jewish people, and at Hadad Ramon separated children from their parents, separated family members. And there was great weeping and there was great mourning on that day. And Zechariah says it'll be similar to that when Jesus returns. Zechariah says here, that it will be like that among those who see the crucified Lord in his resurrected state because they will realize that they had historically participated in his crucifixion while denying who he rightfully was, and they will weep about it. They will weep about it. Go over to chapter 13. There's another significant point here. Chapter 13, verse 6. They will weep about this. And chapter 13, verse 6, And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? And then he will answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now the Hebrew is tricky here in in chapter 13, verse 6. It says, they will ask, where did you receive these marks? These marks between your arms. So the Hebrew word there is yad. And yad can mean arms or hand. It means any kind of extension of of your arms. And so some interpret it to mean between your arms is the place between your shoulder blades, which would be a, a, an indication that the, the scourging marks of Jesus will be visible to them. And it either means that, or Yod can be translated hands, and some of your Bible translations say they will ask, where did you receive these marks in your hands? And it can refer to the marks of the crucifixion, the the nail marks. Either way, it works. Either way, it works. It either refers to the scourging scars on his back or it refers to the crucifixion nail prints in his hands. But when they see him bearing the marks of his crucifixion, somebody once said that there's only one man-made thing in heaven, the marks of the crucifixion that Jesus bears. And when people see him, when Jesus Christ returns, they will ask, where did you get these? And Jesus will tenderly, lovingly answer, I received these wounds at the house of my friends. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, no greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus sees us as his friends. Even though every single one of us, technically speaking, nailed him to that cross. The Jewish people historically participated. The Romans historically participated. But realistically, every single one of us participated. Because Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for all of our sin. And he stayed there because of his love for us. He was our suffering Savior, not because because man overpowered him, but because he laid his life down. He laid his life down. The humble, the meek Messiah, the lowly one who came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, not as this majestic warrior, but as, a, as just a meek Messiah, is not overpowered by man. But being God in flesh, he surrenders to the will of the Father for the sacrifice of the sins of the world, and he lays his life down as our suffering Savior. He took on the punishment intended for us so that we wouldn't have to suffer. He suffered in our place. That whip was for you. 
Those nails were for you. That crown of thorns was for you. It was for me. It was for all of us. Jesus said in Luke 9, 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day, which brings us to the last point here that Zechariah outlines for us. The coming king, Jesus rises from the dead, ascends back into heaven, and we are reminded in the Bible, not just here in Zechariah, that Jesus is coming again. Look at chapter 14 in Zechariah chapter 14. He sees this day. Now again, this is still in our future, obviously. Jesus has not come yet, but he is coming again. And Zechariah writes in chapter 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. What's he talking about? Armageddon. It's a prophecy about the battle of Armageddon. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Pause there for a moment. Zechariah is describing a time that is outlined in Revelation chapter 16, the battle of Armageddon, when the various nations will converge in Israel to fight against Israel and in effect to fight against the God of Israel. And when they come, they will converge at the place known as Armageddon. It's taken from two Hebrew words, Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. In the shadow of Megiddo is the Jezreel Valley, which is where this battle will be fought. Napoleon once stood on Megiddo and said, oh, that I would love to fight a battle in this valley. He was French. (laughs) But there will come a day. When all these different nations will gather in the valley of Megiddo, there in the Jezreel Valley, to fight against Israel, to fight against the Lord. And Zechariah sees the day, however, verse 3, when the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And Jesus will come again. And he will defeat all these armies that have come against Israel. He will bring victory. And when he comes, Zechariah is specific here, that Jesus will return to earth to the Mount of Olives. This is just east of Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples followed Jesus to the Mount of Olives on the day that Jesus ascended from them, when he was taken up into heaven, two angels appeared and said to the disciples, in effect, don't be afraid, don't be worried. You saw him go this way. He's going to come back the same way, to the same place. Zechariah reminds us, the same place, 520 years before Christ, That Jesus ascended will be the place where Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives, the Bible predicts that there will be a great earthquake. And it will split the Mount of Olives range, the the mountain range there. Half of the mountains move to the north, half move to the south. And it creates this valley from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea. 
And the Bible tells us that fresh water will come forth underneath the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, some kind of artesian well or something that emerges as a result of this earthquake. And the Bible says that half of the water will travel to the Western Sea, which is the Mediterranean, and the other half will flow down to the Eastern Sea, which is the Dead Sea. And check this out, Ezekiel chapter 47 prophesies that the Dead Sea, which presently has the highest salinity content, 37%. The Atlantic Ocean is 3%. Okay, the Dead Sea is 37% salinity. Ezekiel 47 says, On the day that the fresh water flows from underneath Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea, it will make the Dead Sea fresh water teeming with life. Okay, so I've said this before, I always will say, if you want to get a corner on the market early, set up a bait and tackle shop down by the Dead Sea. They'll laugh at you now because not a living thing is in the Dead Sea. They'll laugh at you now. But you'll be making money hand over fist if you just wait it out. Not that it's about money, but anyway. When that day comes, it's just always going to be about the Lord for sure. But this is what the Bible says. Look here in Zechariah 14, verses 8 and 9. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, that's the Dead Sea, and half of them toward the western sea, the Mediterranean. In both summer and winter, it shall occur, verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Jesus is coming again. And unlike his first coming when he came meek and mild riding on a donkey, his second coming, Revelation 19 says, will be on a white horse with fire in his eyes, and his name will be faithful and true, and he will come with justice and to make war. And he will settle the score and defeat all those armies that have converged there in the valley of Megiddo. And Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth for 1,000 years. And then after that, the Bible says, a new heaven and a new earth, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. He came once as meek Messiah, died as suffering Savior, but he's coming again as our king over all the earth. This is the hope of the church. This is the hope of the church. But the question is, are you ready for him? Are you ready for him? Two greatest needs that are universal among all people, the need to be right with God and the need to know what happens when you die. The Messiah King Jesus resolved both of those. We can be made right with God if we have faith in him. God implemented a plan for us 2,000 years ago because of our sin, we've been alienated from God. And God determined to reconcile man to God, and he did that through Jesus Christ. Jesus took on the punishment intended for us. Jesus died in our place so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences for our sin. And all God wants of us is to acknowledge that belief by faith and to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sin. Thank you that you took the punishment intended for me. Thank you that you've spared me hell and you've opened up heaven because I can trust you and what you did for me on the cross. If you don't know that, if you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let, let me just ask you, I mean, just, I'm just being direct, what do you have to lose? Because if, if you decide you don't want to do that, you have everything to lose. If you decide, I, I want to receive Christ as my Savior, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. We don't need to be like Chicken Little. Jesus is coming, oh, well, the sky is falling, what is it? 
we can be people who are encouraged and have the hope of knowing that the one who loved us is the one who died for us, is the one who is coming again. So trust him as your Lord and Savior so that whether you die or whether you are alive when he returns, you'll be ready to meet your Savior and he will usher you into the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching through the last several books of the Old Testament, also known as the Minor Prophets. These short books are powerful and reveal so much about your Creator and His love for the world. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. Again, that number is 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. Pastor Gary also has a companion resource available for this Minor Prophets series. You'll find it under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find out more on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study the Minor Prophets. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know